Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. The open door. I'll go ahead and tell you this. This is kind of the concept of this message. Did you know the word revival is not used anywhere in the Bible? There is no real scriptures about about true, like the way that we use. Like, oh, we're having... You know, a revival. There was a revival that happened. Brownsville revival, Azusa Street revival. That that word actually isn't used in the Bible. Instead of that word being used in the Bible, there's this concept of the open door that I want to talk to you about. The open door. Uh, But I'll give you a definition of revival. This will be important. Here's a, a very solid, this came from Leonard Ravenhill how he defined revival, I think it's excellent. And he said this, revival is when God divinely intervenes in the affairs of man. What is true revival? It's when God divinely intervenes in the affairs of man. That means that God comes and he does only what God can do. Praise God. And I'll get to some of these points, but if that's the case, a true revival, and, you know, we kind of throw that that term around very loosely. You know, people will have excellent services, week-long services, two-week-long services, and they'll say we were in revival, but it wasn't really revival. You know, it may have been edifying, it may have been good, it may have been extended time in the Lord, but it wasn't truly God divinely intervening in the affairs of man. Because I'm going to tell you something. We'll see it in Scripture. You see through history, church history, when God divinely intervenes in the, in the affairs of man. Let me tell you something. God divinely intervenes in the affairs of man. Hallelujah. And so, here's some of the key verses. This is Isaiah 22, 22. The Bible says, I will give him the key to the house of David. I want you to... Make a mental note of that. I will give to him the key of the house of David. Which is this. It says, the highest position in the royal court. Basically, what the Bible is saying, is this is a prophecy of Jesus from Isaiah. But it's talking about how God will give him the key of authority. What is this key of authority? The key of the house of David. Basically, the key of the house of David In the most literal scriptural accuracy, it's the key to Israel. Amen. He's the king of Israel. But along with that, with the key, the house of David, look what it says. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. And when he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. So there's this key that the Lord gave Jesus Christ, and I'll prove that further in just a moment, that allows him in the spirit, in the earth, in the heavens. He has the key to death, to Hades, to the grave. It's this key that allows him to open the door. 
Look at Revelation 3, 7 through 10. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. It says, this is the message from the one who is holy and true. So this is written in red, right? In your Bible, if you have a red letter Bible, is it red? Yes, that means what? This is the words of Jesus Christ. It says, this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. Get this point. Jesus has the key of David. Say that. Say, Jesus holds the key of David. What does that mean? What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. And he says this to this church. He says, I know all the things that you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. What does revival look like for a church? It's when God opens a door for that church. Amen. He says, I know all the things that that you do, and I have opened a door for you. That no one can close. You have little strength that you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force, you know, and, and I'll get to this in my message, but as I begin to study the open door, I begin to ask myself these questions. Jesus is speaking to this church, Philadelphia, and he says, I have the key of David. I open a door that no man can close, and I have opened a door for you. I have opened a door for you, Church of Philadelphia. I begin to ask myself the question, what did they do that caused the Lord to open the door for them? And he gives us a little bit of insight. He says, you have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. Hallelujah. Say they didn't deny me. If you study, actually, even historically, you know, that town, that ancient town, Philadelphia, was a, a huge, they would make mer- merchantiles, you know, different resources were going out of that town. It was like a, it was like a, work, a, worksman, a, a working man's town. And if you look historically, uh, something that began to happen was, you know, this was in the, the Roman Empire. And so they had these gods that they would worship. They believe it was the God of success, the God of the harvest, the God that would give them money and, and give them good business. And so in these pagan towns in the Roman Empire, they would create these little, I don't know really what you want to call it, but like unions. It's like a modern day union. When you got a certain trade, you join this union. Well, once a year, these unions would get together in the temple of their God and they would worship their God. And how would they worship their God? Most of the God, uh, the God of fertility, they would worship him through getting drunk. He was the God of wine, the God of, of drunkenness, the God of kind of indulgence and prosperity. So they would get together and they would just get drunk in the temple of their God. Uh, and then they would actually have, you know, public orgies, just horrible demonic things like that. And so these Christians, you know, they were believing and they had the conviction that we cannot bow to this God. We can't go into their temple and get drunk with them. We can't join in with their perverse sexual things that they're doing. We're not going to serve their God. And so basically, if you were a part of this union and you didn't serve their God, guess what started happening to the Christians? They started losing their job. If you don't come to the party once a year, then you don't get to keep this job because you'll anger our God and he won't bless us anymore because you refuse to worship him. 
Hallelujah. So you can already, I don't even have to really interpret, think about how that's really a type and shadow of a lot of things that have been happening the last two or three years, even now. But that's what Jesus said is, I know the things that you do. I have opened a door for you no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Whenever it costs you your job, when it costs you your livelihood, even some Christians, it was costing them their lives. He said, you have not denied me. They were faithful to the Lord, even when it cost them something. So guess what God did for them? The Lord opened the door for them. You have little strength. So he says, look, I'll force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they're Jews but are not, to come bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the one that I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I'll protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Okay, so a few points just to break this down. Is this, not, number one, write this down. Revival is the open door. Revival is the open door. So again, there is no usage of the word revival really in the Bible, but there's this concept, Jesus, he has the key of David, he opens a door. And what is the open door? What is revival? Basically, when God opens the door, it's when God divinely intervenes in the affairs of man. When God opens the door in a city, the Lord divinely intervenes in that city. And when God divinely intervenes in a city, it's not anything that you could do in your own strength. It's not anything that you could do with your own skill or your own ability. It's not anything that you could do with your crazy great presentation and, and all this stuff to draw people in. It's a divine intervention of God. Let's look at some examples of this open door in the scripture. Uh, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. I really need to move through this so that uh, we can get to what I want to do at the end. Before you read Acts 19, I hope you have your Bible turned there. Look what Paul talks about this open door. So remember, revival is the open door. Our whole prayer, our whole mindset has to shift from just throwing this term around, revival, revival, revival. Again, it's used so loosely and so lightly that a lot of people, they say the word revival. I don't, they, we don't even really understand or know what revival means. Revival means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? Are you with me? Revival to one church looks like having a meeting where a guy comes in and two, two services and they're great, powerful, packed services and he leaves and they say, hallelujah, we had revival. When revival to another person could actually mean God pours out his spirit on a city, God pours out his, his spirit in a county and, and, and the thousands and the multitudes come, they're getting saved, they're getting healed and it goes on for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. Revival can look different to different people. Right? But, so again, that's not really a concept in the Bible. The, the concept in the Bible is this concept of the open door. We've got to start praying, focusing our prayers towards Jesus opening the door. Okay? Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 7 through 9. He's writing this to the Corinthian church, and he says, This time I don't want to make just a short visit 
when I, and then go right on, I want to come and stay a while, if the Lord will let me. In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus. So he was in Ephesus when writing this, and he says, until the festival of Pentecost, there is a wide open door, say open door, for a great work here, although many opposed me. Look at it in the New King James. He says, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effectual door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So basically, what was Paul saying? He was in Ephesus, and what happened? God, Jesus, opened the door for him in Ephesus. He was in Ephesus, and guess what? God divinely intervened in the affairs of man. We have an account of this when he said God's opened this great door. What did that actually look like? Now, if you have your Bible in Acts 19, this is the account of that. So starting in verse 8. Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months. So he shows up in Ephesus. He goes and gets a couple of guys baptized in the Holy Ghost. He lays his hands on them in the name of Jesus. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, begin speaking in other tongues. And then he immediately goes to the synagogue and preaches boldly for the next three months. So every day for three months, he goes to the synagogue and he's preaching. Persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So imagine this. Paul, he goes to Ephesus and he's preaching every day. And it doesn't say that he showed up day one and there was revival and everybody loved it, was excited. It says that they, they rejected him. They rejected his message and publicly began speaking against the way. Not only did they reject his ministry, they started spreading lies and rumors. And that, that's a cult. I mean, that's what the way was. You know that in the Roman Empire, they called the way. It was like the cult. The cult called the way. Oh, you know, that's a, that's a cult. That's this weird thing. And they begin to spread these lies and these rumors. And so for three months, Paul labors in Ephesus, preaching, being rejected, being rejected, being rejected. And it says, so Paul left the synagogue and took believers with him. So out of that three months, there was a few people that believed. So he left and he took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years. Say two years. So he's already been there three months. He's being rejected. There's a small group of people that aren't rejecting it. He gets them together. Now he starts holding lectures every single day for two years. And it says... This went on for the next two years so that the people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Verse 11, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. So guess what happened? I don't know at what point, but guess what happened during, at some point during that two years? Guess what happened? Jesus opened the door. Remember, we just read in 1 Corinthians, he's telling them, the Lord has opened the great and effectual door for me in Ephesus. What does that mean? Jesus, the one who holds the key of David, opened the door that no man could open. And what did that open door look like? Number one, it looked like this, that God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. 
You know what's amazing is that's actually insinuating that the Lord breathed on the work that Paul was doing. The Lord came behind the work. The Lord actually gave Paul gifts and graces that he didn't previously have. That means that he's just up there ministering and at some point something happened and now he received this power that he did not previously have where he began to perform these unusual miracles. Hallelujah. Special power poured out. Hallelujah. We've got to get to a point where we cannot be satisfied with what we have. You know, I said this Sunday night in prayer, and I still, I believe that it's true. But the church, we're just so satisfied. When I look at people, and it really breaks my heart, including this ministry, including my own life and my own ministry, I don't see one ministry on the earth, truly, fully walking in the full ministry of Jesus Christ. I use the reference of, you know, we, we, we think that we've just arrived, you know, and, and that's kind of the problem is that churches and ministries, it's like, okay, we'll have the big crowds and then we're just satisfied because we have the big crowds. Or we'll have a great meeting. We'll have millions of dollars come in, and then we're just satisfied now. It's like we've obtained it. Let's write books about it. Let's write 15 keys on church growth and, and how I became successful because we've had numbers and we've had the money. But the real reality is, is how are we satisfied? When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus went around raising the dead left and right, did he not? Jesus was stopping funeral processions and, and pulling children up out of, the, out of the grave and delivering them back to their families and their mothers. Jesus was healing people, not just somebody that got in an accident and, and had a bruised arm or leg or a bruised ankle, healing people that had been paralyzed from time of birth, that had never walked for 30 years. I mean, left and right every single day. You know, there's this word that's used all throughout the gospel accounts that they brought all their sick to him. And guess what? He healed them all. Something has to begin to break on the inside of us where we're not satisfied. Where we praise God for what he's done, but we realize there's so much more. Lord, the dead's not being raised. Lord, we're seeing miracles, but we're not seeing the all, I mean, we're not seeing the fullness of what it could be. And it has to drive us to this place of desperation. It has to drive us to this place of prayer. It has to drive us to the place of fasting. It has to drive us to the place of total surrender to the Lord to seek, to press in, to believe God and, and, and allow him to give us something that we don't have. Come on, somebody. One of the biggest problems, if you were to ask, not just me, many great, I, I like listening to dead people. I like listening to the live ones too, but I like listening to Preachers that preach 40, 50, 60, 70. I like reading books of preachers that lived 100 years ago. I, you know, I, I just, they're just different. 
And I heard a, a man of God, it was Leonard Ravenhill, he said, one of the reasons we don't have revival in America, he was saying this probably 20 years ago, is because the church is content without revival. We're not even, you know, we're not even creating space to invite the presence of God in. We're content just having the big buildings and the big name and the notoriety and the good name and the community and, and, and the money and the numbers. And we're just content. And the church isn't being broken to the point. I love what God's beginning to do. Brother Tristan messaged me the other day and he said, I just felt from the Lord. Can we have like an extended prayer time? Like, you know, I don't know. Are you opposed to us praying like an extended prayer time? And so that's why Saturday we're going to do, you're all welcome. If you don't want to come, then that's okay. Come for a little bit if you can. But Saturday we're going to have prayer from 8 o'clock at night to midnight. And then we're going to wake up Sunday and we'll have prayer at 930. We'll have church and we'll come back at 6 o'clock to pray again. Why are, we, why are we doing that? Because we recognize that there's so much more that we don't have. And we're not satisfied without the glory of God. We're not satisfied without the presence of God. We're not satisfied with American Christianity. And it says God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. God opened the door for Paul. Something came. God divinely intervened in the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. And I'll elaborate on that a little bit more in a moment. It says, when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. You know, we got to get away from, I understand faith. But guys, faith doesn't mean a bunch of people run around for their whole lives pretending they have something that they do not have. Oh, Paul put apron, you know, Paul put uh, handkerchiefs on people and, and they got healed. And so by faith, I'm going to put it on me and they'll get healed. And, you know, there's got to be this recognition. Is, is it available to us? Yes, it's available to us. But there also has to be this reality that, you know, I'm going to tell you something that I've seen. Say it to you like this. When my wife delivered this baby and I talked to that midwife, all the medical reports that we had gotten previously, God showed me something that whenever God heals you, you don't have to walk around the rest of your life sick just simply claiming that you're healed by faith. There will be a season where you claim it by faith, but you should not have to spend the rest of your life like, you know, you're crippled over and you spend your whole life, well, I'm healed by faith. When God heals you, you can go to the doctor and be medically tested, proven, documented that there was something wrong with you and that something is now supernaturally gone and there's no explanation for it. There's got to be a hunger in the people to begin to press in and seek the face of God and try to touch God to get something that we don't have in this generation. So it says that uh, all the Jews were traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use 
the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirits replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? The man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from house to house. Uh, they fled from the house naked and battered. The devil stripped them down naked and sent them running. <laughs> Amen. I'll use his name again. I've been listening to him, and it's it's true. He said the greatest compliment of a Christian. Is that right there? What that demon said? Jesus, I know, and Paul that I and Paul I know. What a compliment for a Christian! But who are you? Can you imagine that that you're doing so much against the kingdom of hell that in the spiritual world that demons are literally like leaving your city and going and talking to other principalities and other powers and other demons and like there's this guy named Paul in Ephesus that's and, and, and like these demons are coming in and they know Jesus, they know Paul. I mean, that's amazing. I think that right there that could solve a lot of problems if just ministers would make that their goal. How about instead of me just having the biggest church and the most numbers and the most the skinniest jeans with the nicest Nikes, how about, how about I make it my goal to be known in hell? So he goes on to say, He leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from, house to, from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. And it says a solemn fear descended on the city in the name of Jesus was greatly honored. The name of Jesus was greatly honored. So listen. When Paul started preaching in Ephesus, they rejected his message and spoke against the way. Okay, what does it mean that when God opens a door, God divinely intervenes in the affairs of man? In the same city where they were just rejecting him, something happened, something broke, something, something broke in the spirit where the same city that was just rejecting him is now greatly honoring and revering the name of Jesus Christ. That's something only God can do. Listen, we can toil, we can try to, and it's good, we should go. How can they know unless they're told? And how can they be told unless someone goes? And how beautiful are the feet that go carrying good news? We must go and preach the gospel. But you, we have no power to change a city that has a cold heart, a city that's rejecting the ministry of the Lord, rejecting the work of the Holy Ghost. There's something that has to happen where we seek and impress into the Lord. And Jesus opens the door where now the same city that was rejecting him is now honoring his name. So look at this. It says, Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices, and a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of these books was several million dollars. 
You know, I've been, it's amazing. I heard the last two weeks we've had believers in this church start doing that. They heard that message on fellowship with demons. I had youth kids come and say, I, you know, we found old books and old things that we've had since we were kids. And they got together and began to burn them. I've had other adults that did the same thing, went out and, and lit a fire in their yard and started burning, severing ties with devils, unclean spirits. You know, that's when God divinely intervenes. Listen to me, guys. Do you see the difference between just having some good meetings and filling up the church to God divinely intervening in the affairs of man where literally the city's coming together and having a giant bonfire of spell books and lighting it on fire? It's worth several million dollars. This wasn't like one or two. This was like, I mean, just stacks and, and piles of these books, these spell books and these incantations and begin to burn them because they were repenting to the Lord. So afterwards, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Macedonia and Achaia before going through Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. And he sent his two assistants, Timothy and Eurastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy and he called together, he called them together along with others employed in the similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you've seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, that magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. Guys, imagine the preaching of this one man, Paul, began to influence Ephesus so much that it shut down the idol-making industry. That they were literally concerned that like so many people are burning their idols, breaking their idols, they're not buying their idols anymore. That they're like, our false God is going to lose its influence because so many people are turning away. That's what it means for God to open the door. You understand now that Jesus said, I have the keys of the house of David. I open a door that no man can open. In Revelation chapter 3, he said, I, I hold the keys. I open the door, and I've opened a door for you. Paul says that God opened the great and effectual door for him in Ephesus. This is what it looked like. So, again, point number one, revival is the open door. You got that? Number two. Write this down. Jesus opens the door. Jesus opens the door. I want you to say that. Say Jesus opens the door. Say it again. Say Jesus opens the door. One more time. Jesus opens the door. That is so significant because look again at Isaiah 22, 22. When he opens doors, who's he? Jesus 
The one in Revelation 3 that said, I'm the living one. I'm the one that has the key to the house of David. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. And when he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. So here's kind of my whole point. Jesus has to open the door. I can't open the door. You can't open the door. No evangelist can open the door. No apostle can open the door. Jesus has to open the door. And if Jesus doesn't open the door, guess what? It ain't getting opened. It can't be open. So what does that actually tell you? We cannot formulate revival. Listen to me, guys. We cannot formulate revival. We cannot formulate revival. We cannot create revival. We can have meetings. We can call for a time to come together and to be edified. We cannot formulate it. We cannot create it. We cannot get a blueprint and say this. If you want to have revival, do this, do this, do this, do this, do these things. Jesus has to open the door. Hallelujah. What does that mean? Something has to shift in the churches where we realize we cannot rely on our arm of flesh. We can get the biggest buildings, the best light shows. We can get Spider-Man and the Hulk to come show up to church. We can do all of these things. But if Jesus doesn't open the door, guess what? All it is is the flesh. All it is is just getting a bunch of people together and nothing ever changes. Revival never takes place and the spirit of God is never poured out. Hallelujah. We can't formulate it. We can't create it. That's the problem. I know I've been talking about it. I'm telling you, I've seen it firsthand. There is a small amount of ministries on the earth right now, and especially in America, that their staff meeting isn't, how can we make the light show better? How can we execute? Man, we need to get the click tracks in for the worship team. How can we make the announcements just better and, 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 you know, you got this, this cue and then, you know, they're given a cue and a lineup and, and it's all performed and it's all this big theatrical production and we think, well, this will be what brings the people in and this is what will facilitate God to speak to these people and move to these people. And, and we do all of this stuff in the flesh trying to reach people instead of realizing that if he doesn't open the door, then it ain't going to do anything. Hallelujah. When you realize that Jesus is the only one that can open the door, guess where your eyes begin to go? To prayer, to fasting, to seeking after the face of God. What if instead of meetings, what if, what if mega churches, instead of meetings of how can we make the lights better and how can we make all these little more professional things and how can we make somebody come in and just feel so welcome and, and the, the assimilation process with this thing and this thing and then you get the cookies and you get, what if we just begin to really put all of our efforts saying no, the answer to Lufkin, the answer to Huntington, the answer to Texas, the answer to the country is for Jesus to open a door. So that means means that we need to pray and get on our knees and get on our face and begin to seek God for an open door. Hallelujah. We have, we have to have services when we're gathering together that are inviting God 
and not inviting people who don't want to be here. We, our time together has to be structured on inviting God, drawing the presence of God, building a place, building an altar for the glory of God to come and inhabit. I don't like that worship song. Who cares? It's not about you. Well, I don't really like, you know, I, I wish that, it, I don't like that, that we, you know, I don't want to go to that church. They're jumping around, they're raising hands. Are you serious? We've got to create places that is inviting God and not inviting people that don't want to be here. I don't understand how people have another option. That's one of the most frustrating things to me. The most frustrating thing to me is a person being able to come in here in here, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny your personal interests. You have to deny your flesh. You have to deny your dreams. and You have to deny all of that. Pick up your cross if you want to be a disciple and follow Jesus. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. You have to do these things, and I, it drives me crazy that Christians can walk out and say, you know what, that's not the church for me. I'm going to go down the road because somebody's offering me another way over there. That is an abomination to the Lord. Are you all with me? Oh, my goodness. What is going on? How are we offering people another way? You create a place To begin to, to bring in the presence of an almighty God. And yet people have another alternative option down the street. That's being done in the name of Jesus Christ and in the name of the church. The church has to get to a place where we're desperate, where we're hungry, where we're thirsty. And if he doesn't open the door, then we aren't reaching these people. You understand that? If God doesn't open the door, we're not reaching Angelina County. So you know what that should do? Drive us to prayer services, drive us to repentance, drive us to humility. Our man-made efforts are not the solution. He has to open the door. Write this down for point number three. When God opens the door, it's his divine intervention in the affairs of man. That's just the definition of revival. When God opens the door, it's his divine intervention in the affairs of man. Again, that, what is that divine intervention? That means that it's not by, based off of our own skill, our own ability, our own talent, our own money, our big production. When God opens the door, he, God breathes on it. Are you with me? I'll give you a very practical example of this. Did you know that in the Bible it says several times that Paul was a very unskilled speaker? Did you know that? Give you some references here. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. He said to the Corinthians, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. 
Are you serious? Most of the church budget in America goes to creative teams. How can we make clickable content, creative Instagram posts? How can we get creative young people in here? And let's come up with 12 months worth of sermons that are clickbait, that are cool, that are creative with the stage props and all of this stuff. But yet the ministry of Paul, he said, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. He said, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one crucified. I came to you in weakness, say weakness, in in timid and trembling. And my preaching was, my message and my preaching was very plain, say very plain. Paul wasn't concerned. Well, if I preach very plain, they're not going to come back. If I don't get up there and entertain them, they'll go somewhere that will. He didn't care. It was very plain. He said, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens when a believer, when a church begins to get away from the clever, persuasive speeches and say, we're going to make this all about Jesus? Guess what? He'll open the door and he'll breathe on it. He said, I did this. Why was he plain? Why did he come in weakness? He said, I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Amen. Y'all, again, I think that we get people so, you get people that are professional service holders. They know how to use that mic. They know how to get the crowd up and down. They know exactly what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And they know how to run the most Pentecostal perfect service. They know how to do the most charismatic perfect service that there is. But when you really hear about people that, are, that get touched by God, you know, uh, I think it was Whitfield that when he was, he didn't get saved until he was like 30 years old. He went into a Baptist meeting. This was in the 1700s. A Baptist meeting at 9 o'clock at night, right? You think 9 o'clock. Oh, man, it's 729. I'm getting tired. He went at 9 o'clock, not even a Christian, to a Baptist meeting. They had no stage, no sound team, no electricity. They had candles at 9 o'clock at night. And the pastor that was there wasn't even yet preaching. He was reading Martin Luther's epilogue. Is that the right word? Basically the prequel to the book of Romans. Martin Luther's commentary to the book of Romans. This dude comes in at 9 o'clock in the candlelit Baptist church in the 1700s. And guess what? God grabbed a hold of his heart. Do you know why? Because he was hungry for God. And when you're hungry for God, you don't need the grand speech and the lights and the show. And, and, you know, how many people in America couldn't worship if you flipped the lights on in their nightclub of a church? How many people would leave and say, I can't encounter God without the 17 electric guitars and and all of these things? What if we cut it all out and we said we're going to sing one song and we're going to sing it with our voices to the Lord and we're just going to sit here and say, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, Lord, and we'll do it for 45 minutes. How many millennials, how many young people do you think would come back again a second week? Oh, I can't, you know, because I'm going to go somewhere where the lights and because that's where I experience God. You're not experiencing God. You're getting hyped up. 
You're experiencing emotion. You know why? Because two weeks from then, you're not even serving God anymore. When God grips a hold of your heart, Brother James got baptized in the Holy Ghost in my apartment when I was 21, 20 years old. No huge altar call. I didn't even like the kid. I didn't. I was like, oh my, I went to the school to preach to the kids. And James came and sat down as a student, senior in high school. I was just out of Bible college. I was like, I'm going to go to the school and go to lunch and preach to the kids. And back when, you know, America wasn't communist and let people do things like that. Huntington won't let us, they won't let us do it. It's ridiculous. I'm going to break that principality, that stupid red devil. He shows up at the lunch table and he's like trying to steal the whole thing. Just like, oh, let me tell you about my Bible knowledge, you know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, just shut up, you know. I have 15 minutes with these kids. And so I had told some of the kids like whispering, you know, hey, we have Bible study tonight. Hoping James didn't hear. He's like, oh, you guys are having a Bible study tonight at your place? I'm like, oh, gosh. Hopefully he won't come. And then he shows up. And he just sat there and, you know, it was great. And, and I, the Lord gave me some simple teaching on the Holy Spirit. At the end of that teaching, he, he stands up and says, I want the Holy Spirit right now. Closed his eyes and just lifted his hands. Pray for me. It was like, okay, you know, oh, all right. No big altar call, no sound team, no, nobody crying and, oh, you got to get in your emotions just laid hands on him, boom, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in other tongues. And, and, and I'm telling you, he was addicted to drugs, drug addict, pornography, immoral relationships. And I watched, obviously, you know, there was a, there's a progression of as we mature in Christ, but I literally watched his life transform in a moment. How many years ago was that? Seven years ago? Never the same. In an apartment. Because when you're hungry for God, you draw near to the Lord, he'll draw near to you. Can I tell you the problem with Christians in America is we're not hungry for God. I'm pleasantly surprised on the number of people that we have come to our prayer meeting on Sunday night. But I heard Leonard Ravenhill say it's true. You know, he used to go preach back in the Word of Faith movement in the 80s and stuff that these churches would be 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people deep. And then it would come time for the prayer meeting. You'd have all these people come to the service, and it'd come time to have the prayer meeting on Friday night or whatever, and 40 people would show up out of 2,000. And But, you know, the pastors would get up and say, oh, look how many numbers we have. Look how many people came to our services. Look how big the offering was. You have 40 people that are willing to pray. Statistically, that's absolutely pathetic. The reality is about the 99% of those people that you're bragging about and got an offering from will stand before God and he'll say, I never even knew who you were. Christians aren't hungry. It, you, we say we're hungry, but are we hungry to the point where it's driving us into his presence? Where we don't want to do anything else? I don't understand the Christian that doesn't want to come to church. I can't wait to come to church. 
In fact, a, a weekend ago, I almost went to a church that I don't even like on Friday night. They have a service on Friday night. I almost went, and I don't even, like, it, they've done weird stuff. And I'm like, I don't, you know, my wife was like, you can't go there. You know, they've done all that weird stuff. Why? You? And I'm like, but babe, I just want to go be in God's presence with other believers. I just want to go. I don't care if there's a Congo drum playing. And I just want to lift my hands with other believers and I want to get in the presence of God. Nothing else is going to, it's not going to satisfy me to sit on this couch. It ain't going to satisfy me to just turn on the TV. It's not going to satisfy me to just scroll on Facebook. There's got to be, get a hunger and a desperation that actually begins to drive people to the place of getting in God's presence. We don't have that. You know why? I can tell you we don't. Because any church that begins to structure their time on inviting God and not inviting people that don't want to be there, you start seeing people leave left and right. Brother John, I'm not coming back to your church. You know, there'd be somebody, probably not in this room now, but if they were here, I've, I've heard it. You prayed too long after taking the offering. Are you, we're in church. What do you mean I prayed too long? If I stood up here and did nothing but pray, we would still be in biblical order for believers to come together and pray. You know, but no, that's not what I like. I like the fast. I, you know, I come to church because I feel some obligation that I should and my friends go there. And There's got to be a hunger for the Lord. The church has to get to a place where we're desperate, where we're hungry, where we're thirsty. And, and guess what? Where we begin to pursue Jesus. Jesus, you must open the door in Huntington. Are y'all with me? We can, we can dance around and do all these little things. But the thing is, is that he's got to open the door and only he can open it. He's got to open the door in Lufkin. If we want to see revival in Angelina County, it ain't going to just be us hosting some event and hoping that it happens. Jesus has to divinely intervene in the affairs of man. So Paul, he said, I was weak. I came to you in weakness. I came to you trembling. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 14. This is proving that Paul was not an impressive speaker. When we tell you these things, he said, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Basically, you know what Paul was saying? That if you came to one of Paul's services and you decided that you were not going to have God's Spirit, everything that he said would sound foolish to you. He wasn't up there like some philosopher spitting philosophies out that the unbelievers like, oh, wow, I can tweet that. He literally, it was, he looked like a fool. He looked like an idiot. He didn't appeal to people's flesh. 2 Corinthians 10.10. For some say, this is what Paul said people were saying about him. Some of Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak and his speeches are worthless. There were people in the Corinthian church saying Paul's weak in person. He writes these big letters, but when he comes, he's weak and his speeches are worthless. Basically, he sucks at preaching. Paul was not some talented, 
gifted speaker. Yet, in Acts chapter 19, we see this weak man, we see this humble man, we see this ungifted, untalented man go into Ephesus, and all of a sudden something happens where he doesn't change, he continues to do what he's always done, but what happened? Jesus opened the door, and now this person that wasn't even gifted in speech is now shaking. Revival is shaking the entire region of Ephesus. People are burning spell books. The, the idol industry is being shut down. The name of Jesus is being spread far and wide and being honored and revered everywhere. Hallelujah. What happened? God opened the door. A divine intervention in the affairs of man is what happened. You read about this throughout history. Examples in history, Azusa Street. If you've never heard of the Azusa Street, what happened with the Azusa Street? Jesus opened the door. They didn't set out and build the biggest church. You know, there was a black man in a time where black people could not even be in the same room legally as the white people. Segregated. 1905. He wasn't even allowed to go to Bible college, William Seymour. He had to literally sit outside of the Bible college and the professor would open the window and let him hear the lectures. For like two years, he did that. That's hunger. Are you guys with me? That's hunger. Most Christians are looking for an excuse to be offended. Well, Jesus, I tried. I tried to go, but they won't let me in because I'm black. And then they'll use it for their excuse for the rest of their life of why they don't serve God. But a person who's hungry for God, guess what? He's oh, you don't want to receive me? I'll sit outside the window Every day in the heat and listen because I'm hungry for God. After two years, there was a church in Los Angeles that wanted him to come be the pastor, his first pastoral position. He, he gets on a horse. He gets on a train. I don't know how he went, but he went from Texas all the way to Los Angeles. He shows up, and he starts preaching this new revelation about the baptism of the Holy Spirit through the evidence of speaking in tongues. He shows up Sunday morning to preach, and guess what? They listen to him, and he comes back Sunday night for the night service, and the door was padlocked and, and chained together with a padlock on it with a note saying, you're fired. We don't want you to be our preacher. So basically, long story short, God divinely led this man. There was a small group of Baptist women that were praying in Los Angeles in a, just a room, just in, a, in a, an apartment. Can you guys imagine the days when believers actually get together to pray and seek the Lord in their own homes? You know, you can't even get believers just to barely show up to church. But in the book of Acts, the book of Acts type of believer would say, I'm going to show up to church. And guess what? On Tuesday when we don't have church, you know what I'm going to do? I'll start a Bible study out of my own house. And I'll start inviting my own block. And I'll start inviting my own neighbors. And, 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 because you're hungry for the Lord. That it ain't just serving Jesus two out of the seven days a week. It's day and night, night and day, every morning, every evening. Are y'all with me? These ladies got together, no pastor, no leader, no organized prayer time, and were praying for revival in their own home, in their own house. And so this man... 
You know, they're praying, and, and the Lord speaks to this man, get on this train, leads them by the Spirit, never met these people, goes to the house, knocks on the door. They're in the prayer meeting. They open the door, and he says, y'all praying for revival? Yeah. Well, I'm the one the Lord sent to preach it. He walks in, and he gives his message about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of them there got baptized in the Holy Ghost, spoke in other tongues. The prayer meeting began to grow. All of a sudden, guess what? Jesus opened the door to a one-eyed black man in a time where the nation was segregated that had no formal education whatsoever. Jesus opened the door. They started having people come. The house filled up. The yard filled up. The block started filling up. People were laid out in the street, get hit by the presence of God. Cars couldn't even drive down the road anymore. They finally came and said, you've got to find a place to hold these meetings. This, these meetings are too large for this apartment. And so they took up a little offering, and they rented for one month the Azuzu Street Stable in Los Angeles. Horse stable. You talk about no lights, no show. They had a horse stable. Their first goal was getting in there and shoveling out poop out of the place. William Seymour would show up. And you guys, I want to tell you something too. That that place, they would start services in the morning and they would go to 3 or 4 o'clock in the, in the morning. Like 11 a.m. service starts and it doesn't end until 4 o'clock in the morning. And then even after it was over and Brother Seymour would retreat back up into his lodging, people would just be in the building, hundreds, just praying, praying through the night, praying, 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 because they were hungry, because they were thirsty. Every day, day and night, he would show up in the meetings and he wouldn't get up and just start with a message. He'd put his, he had a box on his podium he would bend down and put his head in a wooden box and pray and not get up until the Lord told him to stop. One hour. Imagine that. Imagine being in the service. It started, and, and the, the preacher just puts his head in a box for an hour. Most people would leave. I got something better to do. Two hours sometimes. What if it was three hours? Didn't matter. He wouldn't pick his head up until the Lord spoke. Why would he do that? Because he, uh, he, uh, he tapped into what I'm talking about, what Paul understood. If the Lord doesn't open the door, if the Lord doesn't do it, then let it be undone. Come on, someone. We're not here to take up offerings. We're not here just to have a little Christian circus show. If the Lord doesn't do it, then let it be undone. What did Moses say to God? If you don't go with us, then just kill me. I won't go unless you go with me, Lord. What if Christians got that same fight and that same hunger in their spirit? We're not going to go, Lord, unless you go with us. Leonard Ravenhill said, we'll have revival when the church can't live without it. Not the pastor, not the, not the apostle, the prophet. When the church, the body of Christ cannot live without revival, we'll have revival. The Brownsville Revival, <clears throat> that was a Father's Day service. It wasn't even supposed to be like, it went on for what, five years? Does anybody know? Was it five years? About five years. They didn't even plan on going a week. They had the, Tim Hill come in 
and preach a Father's Day service on a Sunday morning. Two o'clock rolled around, three o'clock rolled around. Everybody, a lot of people left, but you can still watch that service on YouTube. And then about that, something happened. And it, something happened after like two o'clock. You know what happened? Jesus opened the door. Jesus breathed on it, and now all of a sudden, a divine intervention came into the affairs of a man. And it wasn't his skill, it wasn't his ability, it wasn't because he was the best preacher, it wasn't because he was the funniest, the cutest, the most elaborate, the most anointed. God divinely breathed on it. And it, and it went on every day for five years. Lines packed out, people getting healed, people getting saved just in the line. Teachers getting saved in Florida, bringing their school, their kids on a school bus, getting fired. You can't do that stuff, you're a teacher. Oh, who cares? Doing it anyways. Getting fired. Anybody ever heard of Kent Christmas? Anybody seen what God's doing with his ministry right now? If you've ever heard his story, he said he pastored for 30 years, probably more than that, 35 years, a small church, 100 people maybe. You know, in, in Tennessee, like, I think it's in... Uh, Nashville, I mean, a town of millions of people. You guys thought, well, we're a small church. We have 2,100 people in Huntington. <laughs> if we have 100 people, we have like 5% of the entire population in the service. For like 35 years, he preached with, to like nobody, was just... Serving the Lord faithfully. And he tells the story that it was like the day after Christmas. He showed up to church. And literally it was packed out to the back wall. And then ever since then, it, he just showed up one day unexpectedly after Christmas. Probably thinking like no one's going to be there. It's, it's Christmas. And it was just packed out to the wall. Like, I mean there was standing room only. What happened? He didn't change his ministry, he didn't change his preaching, he didn't change anything. What happened? Jesus opened the door. Are y'all with me? Anybody ever heard of Greg Locke? Another great person God's using right. He tells you the same thing. He pastored 20 years, you know, 25 years, small congregation. And then all of a sudden in 2020, they moved out into this tent and the Lord began to fill his church and then a tent and then he got a bigger tent and, and, and all of a sudden... God divinely intervened in the affairs of man. Hallelujah. There's a moment where Jesus breathes on it, and it's divine intervention. So, my last point tonight is this. Number four, what do you do in the meantime? Obviously, we understand what the scripture, it doesn't teach revival. It teaches Jesus opening the door, and we can't formulate it. We can't create it. We can't market it. It ain't going to just, oh, we're going to have revival. Let's spend $3,000 and blow up Facebook ads and target all these people and get them to come to a service. You can't do that. He has to open the door. Or guess what? You'll have a great service, and then it'll be over, and it's over when it's over. So what do you do in the meantime? These two things from the scripture, number one, be faithful. Be faithful. 
Say, be faithful. Remember, the Lord said in Revelation chapter 3, 8 and 9, he opened the door for Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia, and he says, you are faithful. You did not deny me. Paul, he preached for two years and three months every single day. So what do you do? You stay on assignment and you do what God has told you to do. Are you with me? You stay on assignment and you do what God has told you to do. You don't cave. You don't crit, You don't change. You don't start catering. People change. Times change. Things change. But we don't change. We stay the same and we stay with doing what the Lord's told you to do. Told us to do. Are you with me? And then number two, here's the key: pray. Say pray. pray. Remember, we got to get Jesus to open the door. Look what it says in Matthew seven seven through eight. Keep on asking. And you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and what? The door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Hallelujah. So what does that mean? You're faithful and you just continue to believe and pray. God, open the door. Jesus, intervene. Divinely intervene in our affairs. Divinely intervene in Angelina County. What if we do it for a year and it doesn't happen yet? What do we do? You stay faithful and you keep praying. Jesus, divinely intervene and open the door. What about five years? What about 10 years? You stay faithful and you keep believing. And guess what? He says, if you keep knocking, the door will be opened. Hallelujah. Look at 2 Corinthians 7, 14. And I really believe that that's the key. That a bunch of Christians wrestling with God and coming to the point where we say, Lord, we will hold on and we will not let go till you open the door. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's like Jacob wrestled with the angel. He, I will not let go till you bless me. I told the kids this Friday night, and I said, you know, when, you, when God touches you, if you read that, it's kind of an image that, that Jacob wrestled with the angel. He said, I will not let go until you bless me. And the angel it touched his hip. And it, and it put his hip out, and for the rest of his life, he, he walked with a limp. And if you won't settle for the fake, if none of us, if we won't settle for the fake, we won't settle for the phony baloney, we won't settle with just having charismatic Pentecostal services, but we'll really press in and say, Lord, we won't stop pushing till you touch us. Guess what happens? When God really touches you, you're, you'll walk differently the rest of your life. You know that? You will walk if you'll press in for the real thing. And, and look at this. Here's the key to prayer. Second Corinthians 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Humble themselves. What does humbling ourselves mean? We get away from the flesh we get away from all these things and we're going to build our ministry and build our success on us. We'll humble ourselves and realize that Jesus has to open the door. 
If you'll humble yourself and pray, and look at this, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear, I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. If you'll humble yourself, pray and seek my face. Say, seek my face. That's the key right there, church. Seek his face. I hope you get a hold of that. Seek his face. What are we trying to do when we come together? Seek his face. Seek his face. It's all about Jesus. Seek his face. If you'll humble yourself, pray, and seek my face, the Lord says. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their lands. I'll forgive their sins. I'll restore their land. He'll open the door. My eyes will be open, my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. And I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hannah, will you jump up on the keys? I want to take a minute. Can we just pray together for a minute tonight? Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Sound team, I mean, we're good. So if you want to come out here and pray, you can come pray. Hallelujah. You don't have to cut it off to just come out here. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 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 Just pray those chords we went over. C sharp minor. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. If we want to see God do it in our time, Jesus has to open the door. So we have to begin knocking. Lord, open the door. Open the door. Open the door. Lord, don't just give us nice meetings. Open the door. Don't just give us a week of meetings, Lord. Open the door. Open the door. Hallelujah. Open the door over Angelina County. Open the door, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on. If you will, can you stand to your feet? Can you press in? Can you pray? Can you get with me? Hallelujah. Ramba baba shatara baro karamambara bara baramba rabara te karamambara para pata rebe. Rora baba ramba bara baba shatara bara bakara babari ki. Cam, come up. I know I've had you do it every time. Pray for the open door in the schools. Now that you've heard the teaching on what the open door is, pray for the open door in the schools. Lord, I pray that any door 
that is closed right now becomes open. I pray that any single form of depression or stronghold over that school is open now. I pray that every single kid who has a hard heart is open. I pray that whatever needs to be done gets done in that school. Lord, I pray that anything that needs done is done. I know that it can be done. I know by your might it can be done in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Lord, open the door to our schools. Jesus, you hold the key of David. We don't just want a Bible study. Lord, we want you to open the door. Open a door that no man can open. Open the door we could never open for ourselves. Not just the permission to be in the school, but Lord, the place where your name is mocked. The place where your name is disgraced. But Lord, turn it into a place by opening the door where the name of Jesus will be reverenced. Lord, only you can turn the hearts of people towards yourself. Open the door, Lord. Open the door. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we pray for those in the school for Cam and the other students, just as you grace Paul with the special power to perform unusual miracles. Lord, that when you open the door, there was a special grace that came with it. That, Lord, that you'll do something that is just supernatural. You'll grace them. You'll put something on them, a grace, a grace for this hour, a grace for this day, a grace for this school. Open the door, Lord. Open the door, Lord. Open the door, Lord. Open the door, Lord, like in the Jesus People movement where thousands of high school students and college students were getting saved, radically saved and set free on their campuses. Let the gyms be filled with groups. I just prophesied right now. The same gym that has a Huntington Red Devil on the side of the wall being filled with students, somehow, someway, hearing a presentation of the gospel, being broken up into small groups to receive Christ in prayer, and that, Lord, a hunger would begin to form. These students, they would begin to meet. They'd begin to meet. They'd begin to come to church. They'd meet in each other's homes and begin to seek you. That students would get together and get a fire for, for you, Lord, and filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to have prayer meetings amongst themselves where you begin to touch and move. Hallelujah. We bind that demonic principality now in the mighty name of Jesus. We tear it down. We bind the strong man's hand. And Lord, we're, we're knocking on the door asking you to open the door. Open the door. Open the door. Open the door over our college campuses, Lord. Open the door over our college campuses, Jesus. They're so bent 
on destroying you and deconstructing you and turning Christian kids into atheists where they hate you and they reject you. But Lord, I thank you that you'll humble the proud. That your name will be honored in the college campuses, Lord. Your name will be honored at Stephen F. Austin University. I thank you, Father, for whatever must break and an event taking place. Just like when those men tried to cast out that demon, whatever for whatever reason, when that demon sent those people running down the street, it, it put a fear inside of the people and it broke whatever veil, whatever bondage, it, it broke it off and the people began to honor you and turn their ear and turn their eyes and turn their face towards you and begin to seek your face. And then the work of the Lord was spread far and wide and had powerful effect and result. Let it break, Lord. Let a miracle take place at the college campus. Revival. Open the door, Lord. Open the door, Lord. Open the door, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Open the door, Lord. Open the door, Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus. James, come pray. Come pray for the open door over Angelina County. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, that you would open the door, Lord. Pour out your oil in this place, Lord. Make a portal. Let there be an open door in Jesus' name. In your name, Lord, for the sake of the people, that this religious devil would be bound. Hallelujah. Just as you bound the lions, Lord, as Daniel, as he would stay, as he wouldn't, as he would be relentless in his fasting, as he was relentless in his prayer, Lord that you would bind the lions in the name of Jesus. There is a religious devil in this area, and it shall be bound in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Lord, open this door in Angelina County. Open the door in Jesus' name, Lord. We petition now in the name of Jesus that there would be an open door Lord we shall be relentless this door will open we won't stop Lord we will not stop Lord until this door is open we will not stop fasting we will not stop praying we will not stop preaching the gospel Lord we will do what your word says to do Lord in the name of Jesus we shall be relentless in the name of Jesus Christ Christ opened this door. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I just want you to pray that. One simple prayer. Open the door, Lord. Come on, everything. Oh, Open the door. 
There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you can't move. There's nothing you can't lose. So do it now. There's nothing you can't lose. There's nothing you can't move. There's nothing you can't do. So do it now. So do it now. There's nothing you can't lose. There's nothing you can't move. There's nothing you can't do. So do it now. So do it now. There's nothing you can't lose. There's nothing you can't move. There's nothing you can't do. So do it now. So do it now. There's nothing you can't lose. There's nothing you can't move. There's nothing you can't do. So do it now. So do it now, Lord. Oh, do it now. Open the door, Lord. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open it up. Open the floodgates of heaven. Oh, let it. I thank you so much for the open door over Angelina County. Lord, I thank you for the things you're doing, God. Lord, I thank you for the the people that you've put in place for this open door, Lord. Lord, I thank you that we're all here for a purpose, God, and that you're going to use each and every single one of us in a certain way, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you are opening the hearts, Lord. Lord, I thank you that hearts are softening. Lord, I thank you that hearts are becoming willing, God, that, Lord, Lord, 
The people are going to want you, Lord. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you're opening the door to where people are hungry, Lord. Lord, I thank you that people are getting hungry tonight, God, for you. I thank you that they're wanting to see this open door, Lord. That, Lord, they're tired of just hearing about the stories of the other open doors, God, that you did. But they want to see an open door now. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that you're growing the hungry. Lord, I thank you that you're going to show it, Lord. Lord, I thank you that in my lifetime, I am going to see it. Lord, I praise you for that. Hallelujah. I thank you for the open door, Lord, over Angelina County, over Texas, over the United States, God. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the open door just in Huntington, especially, Lord. I thank you for that. I praise you for that. Lord, I thank you for all the things you're doing and the ways that you're moving, God. Hallelujah. Bryson, I want you to come and I want you to bind up every demonic principality and force. Just come up and wage war against that demonic principality over Angelina County. By the Spirit of God living on the inside of me, I command that spirit of Baal, of Jezebel, any other spirit reigning in this territory. This is not your territory. This is God's territory. This isn't Red Devil country. This is the Holy Spirit's country. I command you to leave now in the name of Jesus. That podium you have is dead. You will go no further. You will fall back. This is God's country. And you can't have it. Thank you, Lord. I command any spirit that's come over any other pastor in this, and I command the eyes of that pastor to be opened so that we won't be the only one waging war against this. And I thank you, Lord, that you're breaking the hearts of the pastors in in this region just as you've broke our hearts for the same thing that breaks your hearts, Lord. And I thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Tristan, come pray over the sleeping giant that is the church to wake up. Hallelujah. Prophesy the church. Wake up. Father, we know. We know that persecution, it, it, it follows. It follows the word being spoken. It follows the true word being spoken. So, Father, I pray for the sleeping giant to arise in the midst of persecution. I pray that 
the persecution would come, that it would strengthen our church, that it would bring about the Acts church, that it would bring about as Paul, he went preaching in Ephesus, he went preaching in Corinth, he went preaching all around these regions and the persecution that came after him only made him dig deeper, made him understand the, the incredible greatness of God's power and the necessity of that to have it to be the thing that moves. So I pray that this church, that this true church, it rises, it rises to its full potential as it says in Joel that we would have an outpouring of the Spirit that's greater. A greater outpouring. I pray for this sleeping giant to awaken. This sleeping giant that is the church. That is that is Jesus Christ. That God would get behind. That He would testify. That He would testify to the word being spoken. Jesus
Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, Jesus. How much are we willing to lay down for you, Jesus? How much are we willing to lay down for you, Jesus? How much are we willing to lay down for you, Jesus? How much? How much? How much are we willing to die? How much are we willing to decrease so that you might increase, Lord? How low are we willing to go? Is there a price? Do we have a price, Lord? Do we have a price where if we're confronted, where you keep calling, you keep taking us, where we get to that price and we say, no, Lord, this is too much. I can't go any further. You can't have this. I can't do that. I can't be this. I can't give this. I can't give this part of me. I can't give this much of myself. I can't die. Hallelujah. Lord, help us die. Help us die. Help us die. Help us die. Paul said that the law only applies while a man is living. The whole emphasis in the book of Romans, how the law of Moses no longer applies to us is because it says, he said, just like a woman, when she's married to her husband, that covenant only applies while the man is still living. If he dies, she's free. So we're free from the law. Why are we free from the law? Because we're, not, we're no longer living men and living women. We're, we're dead men and dead women. We have died, counted in burial with Christ. And now we are raised to new life. Don't ever use God's grace as an excuse to live in your flesh. God's grace works wonderfully when it's yielded by a dead man or a dead woman. We've got to die. We've got to die. Hear the word of the Lord. I know that's not a word many people want to hear. It. It's not a popular message, but the word of the Lord is to the church today, right now, die. You must die. You must die. No one wants to hear it. No one will pack out seminars to hear a word like that. The conference on dying. But we say, why, why do we need to die? We have everything that we need. We're rich. We're prosperous. Look how big our buildings are. Look how fat our accounts are. Look how comfortable our lives are. And he said, you say that you're rich, but you're really poor. You're miserable. You're broke. You're wretched. You're naked. Buy from me gold refined by the fire. Buy from me white garments. Buy from me balm for your eyes to see. Lord, what has happened that we've taken Jesus out of Christianity in America? There's a price for knowing the Lord.
It's going to cost you. It's going to cost me. It'll cost us all tomorrow as we go on about our days. There's a price to know the Lord. It's going to cost you yourself. It'll cost you your pleasure. It'll cost you your own ambition, your own desire to get away the fellowship with the living God. Lord, what a joy it is to fellowship with you. Lord, you're not a chore. You're not just some law. We love you. What a joy it is to fellowship with you, Lord. What a joy it is to be in your glory and in your presence. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that you fill this church full of Christians that are so, they, they're so hungry. They want to seek your face. Fill this church with people that are hungry, Lord. Fill this church with people that are hungry. Search the heart of every person and separate wheat from chaff. And we'll pray for those, Lord, that their hearts are rebellious towards you. But, Lord, in this hour, your church, your church, there can be no leaven in the church. There can be no yeast in the church. That's why you told us to remove the evil person from among us. Lord, I'm asking you to separate the wheat from the chaff, separate the, the goats from the sheep, the wheat from the tares. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, if it's 10 people in this church, and that's all, we have 10 people that ever fully surrender then I pray for those 10 people. Their children will serve the Lord. They will truly be set apart. That you'll keep them from this great time of testing that is coming upon us. Lord, I thank you even if it's 10 people. They'll know you. They'll serve you. Their lives will be forever radically changed and transformed. Their family tree is changed forever. Their seed is no longer the same. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ramba bama barambara kkk shiti karambara parapara shiti. Come on, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I just feel the Spirit of the Lord saying right now, make intercession in the Spirit. Shamba bara mamari ki hira da 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 ishi kana moro kana mahishi ki. Lord, I'm asking you to release a deep tongue in someone in here. That's not just the talk; it's the it's the groanings that can't be expressed in words that come from the innermost part of their spirit. Handa bara 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 ke ki thana da moro kana marara de. just keep playing. I want you to just release the tongues. Mana karabasha te te kinat halanobato. 
Sharamba Rebede Kita Takaharamba Shorramba Lodo Korabata Takite Sherabogo Ramba Latati Kita Da Haramba Shita Da Karambogo Sharabade Kerabagaramba Shorumba Lede Dikita Nambagata Pandrobashododo Keramba Sherede Kikiambada Harumpa Kashitek Handa Dabagola Doba Shedamba Shigidikitanda Harumba Shetak Haramba Shondodo de Biki Deda Handa de Kita Pasho Toto Harebere Nikitala Shokoramba Shedaba Langado to Kamba Hallelujah, it's not something we can just do in one night. It's got to become a, a hunger as a corporate body, a hunger that's cultivated. That we begin to knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and he'll open the door. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you've got to be hungry. I'm telling you, you've got to be hungry. Please evaluate yourself. And if you feel that, that you, this is not what you want, you don't want the Lord like this. It's not the type of Christianity that you desire. I'm telling you, do, don't do yourself a disservice. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you with tears. But please never bring into this church division. Because people come together and want to get radical and see the God of the Bible in this day and this age. And, and people come in with their own ideas and their own agendas and their own flesh. And well, and catering to me. And, and, and listen, please, if your heart ever gets there and it's just not for you, that's not what you want. Then please don't bring division. Don't try to pull people over to your side to see things your way. Just leave. We'll pray for you. We'll love you. Anybody is welcome to come here, but God is building a hungry people here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're wonderful, Lord. You're wonderful, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I release any pressure from now on. Never again to feel any pressure to stop something because I can discern that somebody in here doesn't want it or is tired and sick of it or wanting to, to leave never again Lord never will we cater to that anything like that again we're going to invite you here Lord we're going to build an altar for you Lord hallelujah we'll never cater to another person's flesh again thank you Jesus hallelujah 
You're worthy, you're worthy, Jesus. Oh, show us your glory, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pamba bakeshi kika ha hi hi ho ho ramara makaka. Ramba mamara maridi kinene aramoro no rama marama. Hey, shikina mamarata. Some of you are catching it. I'm telling you, some of you, you're changing. You've noticed yourself. You're like, I'm not the same. I just. Some of you, you're really getting a heart for prayer. A lot of us are. Where prayer used to be some religious obligation you felt. Well, like, you know, a lot of people, number one, just didn't pray at all. Had no life, prayer life at all. And then others, they did, but they felt obligated. Like, oh, I should. Some of you. You're starting to see God just totally change things where you hunger, you thirst for it, you desire it, you want it. You take joy. You, you're, really, you're really beginning to delight yourself in the Lord. The word and prayer and things like that, it's not some obligation. You delight, you're de, you delight in it. There's nothing better than it, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.